This is Rob Long with Martini Shot for The Ankler. I have a friend who was once on a plane with serious mechanical trouble, emergency landing kind of trouble, fire trucks on the runway, weeping in the first class cabin, that kind of mechanical trouble. And as they were coming in for what they hoped would be a safe landing, the flight attendant tried to get everyone on board to join in on a little chant. We're going to be okay, she chanted, clapping along rhythmically like this. We're going to be okay. We're going to be okay. We're going to be okay. It never really took hold, apparently, and people went back to their quiet sobbing and their compiling of lists of people they planned to haunt from the other side, or at least that's how I'd spend those moments. The plane did, in fact, land safely, but my friend told me later that the darkest moment of the experience wasn't the pilot's announcement that they were all in serious trouble or the woman in the next row who completely lost it, but the flight attendant's chant, we're going to be okay, we're going to be okay, which was when she and the rest of the passengers knew that, you know, probably they were not going to be okay. A friend of mine had a show on the air recently that really hit a groove. Creatively, it was doing well. The cast had found its footing. The stories were hitting their strides. The tone and voice of the show was strong and clear. It was midway through the second season, which is about the right time for a show to enter this kind of phase. But it was welcome nonetheless. The first season and a half had been, well, not rocky, but turbulent. That often happens with a new show. Pilots are so regularly tossed together at the last minute. Casts assembled at midnight from the busted parts of other shows. Storylines resurrected from the dead after a disastrous network run-through. The mantra during pilot production is always, fix it later. Because, you know, later rarely comes. But sometimes it actually does come. Sometimes, despite all the voodoo and the necromancy, a pilot turns into a series, and then suddenly it's later, and you got to fix it. And and what can you say? But we're going to be okay. We're going to be okay. And all of that happened to my friend. But somehow he managed to navigate himself into a second season of his show, and midway through that, the clouds just lifted. The cast and the writing staff worked more harmoniously together, but most of all, and this is where it really mattered, his relationship with the network eased into a friendly, collegial, respectful, even helpful back and forth. It was a model of what that kind of relationship really should be. They still gave notes, of course, but the notes were what we call directionally useful. They weren't notes that told him he was making a different show from the one the network wanted. They were notes designed to remind him to keep making the show he was trying to make, which is actually helpful for a showrunner in the middle of the chaos of production. So what my friend noticed was things are getting better. And what he concluded was they must like the show, that we are actually going to be okay. What he forgot about, of course, was that there's always a ninth planet. Astronomers in earlier times with more primitive telescopes would look at the sky and notice the movements of the planets and all the stuff up there, and they'd make a map of what they could see, but they'd also notice the behavior of all that stuff, its movement, its shifting, its unexplained orbits, and deduce from it that there must be a hidden planet nine somewhere, some big gravitational force they couldn't see making this or that thing bend in its trajectory or dip in its rotation You didn't see the planet, but you knew it was there, because otherwise, why is all that stuff happening? The actual existence or non-existence of a ninth planet is something astronomers still wonder about, but everyone in the entertainment business knows, actually everybody in every business knows, there is always 
a ninth planet. So my friend's show was canceled after the second season, and that's when he suddenly saw that big ninth planet there looming into the eyepiece of the telescope because the reason the relationship had eased, the reason the notes let up, the reason the network loosened the leash was they had decided to cancel the show. Now, the executives he dealt with didn't know that, of course. They, too, were under the mysterious gravitational force of their boss, the network president, who suddenly stopped asking about the show, suddenly stopped peppering them with questions about the casting and the storylines, suddenly stopped yelling about the rough cuts and the soft numbers and the target demo. And he was responding to the gravitational force of the ninth planet of the chairman of the company that owns the network, which looked at the quarterly financials and wondered out loud at the last executive retreat, which was probably in Santa Barbara, where a lot of Planet Nines seemed to orbit, why they weren't making more light one hours anyway. Those sell better internationally. See, that's the great thing about the ninth planet. It pulls on everyone. You just never know when it's there. You're chanting, we're going to be okay. We're going to be okay. And that Planet Nine is saying, no, actually, you're not. I knew a writer who, after a long, years-long studio deal, found out that the deal was not going to be renewed, which sounds like a euphemism for being fired, but it really isn't. Entertainment companies have constantly changing business strategies. I'm tempted to call them business models, but the basic model of a studio doesn't really change. Get people to do something in front of a camera that you can sell for more than what you paid them is pretty much the only business model for pretty much all of Hollywood. But the strategy to get there might shift. A studio may want to spend more money on one-hour action drama writers because there's a big overseas market for those, or half-hour comedy writers because suddenly those are popular again, or maybe even spend money on no writers at all, which is increasingly a popular option. My writer friend was on the wrong side of that kind of strategy shift, and so in the nicest possible way, he was told by the president of the studio, which was followed up by a chilling memo from a studio business affairs attorney, that when his current deal was up, he'd be free to pursue other opportunities, including, the studio hoped, opportunities at that actual same studio, because, of course, they were eager to be in business with him just on a project-by-project basis, rather than a whopping expensive, multi-year contract relationship. So he sat in his office fuming about the heartlessness and short-sightedness of the studio and not, which would have been more logical, about the changing landscape for television entertainment. And he did that for about a month or two, during which time other writers with new studio deals and new projects would knock gingerly on the door to check out his office, measure the rooms, hold up paint chips, And a few weeks before his actual last day, he had had it. He told his assistant to start packing up everything. So this is it, his assistant asked? Yes, the writer replied. The the deal is over? Yes, the writer replied. Um, am I over? Yes, the writer replied. See, in all of his sulking and fury and rage at a studio strategy shift and a business affairs lawyer who was just doing his job, the writer forgot to sit his assistant down and say, once this deal is over, I lose the office, I lose the parking space, I lose the free Diet Cokes, I lose the assistant. And all along, the assistant clearly thought, you know, I, th- I think he's going to take me with him wherever he goes even if he has to pay me out of his own pocket for a while. 
But what the assistant didn't do was ask, because people tend not to ask questions if there's even a small voice inside them telling them that they may not like the answer. So the writer felt fired by the studio, the assistant felt fired by the writer, but the truth is neither one was really fired. It's just that the sunny part of the business they had occupied for so long, warmed by the rays of the sunny money machine, had passed into the shade of Planet Nine, which neither one of them knew was there. The writer and the assistant had spent the studio deal chanting, we're going to be okay. We're going to be okay. And in the end, both of them felt abused. But actually, in this story, the assistant really should have asked, but the writer should have been more forthcoming because, well, that's the nice thing to do. That's the considerate thing to do. That's the right thing to do, especially because the assistant who told me this story a few days ago is now a powerful development executive at a big streaming outfit, and the writer apparently is coming in to pitch Next week, talk about a strategy change. Talk about a ninth planet. All of this brings us to the entertainment business in the autumn of 2022. If you listen carefully as you drive by the various network headquarters, studio lots, talent agency offices, or honestly, you know, my house, you can hear a faint but distinct, we're going to be okay. We're going to be okay. We're going to be okay. Which is probably true. I mean, this is the entertainment business. We're survivors. We've been through box office slumps like this before. We've weathered major changes in the way we reach audiences. We've seen new revenue streams open as other ones dried up. We've journeyed together through wars and strikes and pretty much whatever ninth planets you can dream up. I mean, a lot of people want to see that Top Gun movie. Remember that? That's something that many of us thought might never happen again. I have a very kind and saintly friend who asked me a year or so ago if the entertainment industry is going to change after COVID. Isn't it possible, he asked, and remember, he's a very nice person, spiritually very generous. Isn't it possible that people will take this moment to reflect on what's really important, maybe even what connects us and binds us to each other, to the ways in which we we need to be more loving and forgiving to our friends and family and even strangers, that we may come out of this less selfish and less grasping with a recalibrated sense of what's really important in life? You mean in the entertainment industry, I asked? Yes, he said. I mean, we all have a friend like this, right? I remember years ago, he and I were going somewhere together, and before we left his place, he told me he needed to stop at the apartment down the hall and drop off a pan of lasagna. Why are you doing that, I asked. Because they're my neighbors, he said. And then when he could see that this made no sense to me, he added, and I'm neighborly. Look, everything was supposed to change in the entertainment industry anyway, about 10 years ago, and then about five years ago, and then last year, sometime in the wake of a thousand new galaxies of streaming services, video games, shrinking old-line broadcasters, theatrical studios, AR, IR, Silicon Valley startups, subscription business models. But the system kept chugging along pretty much the same with film festivals and upfront presentations and Nielsen ratings and Oscar ceremonies and day-and-date releases and years and years of the entire 310-424 and 818 area codes chanting in unison, we're going to be okay. We're going to be okay. 
So now my friend was convinced that a major worldwide health emergency might cause people in Hollywood to rethink their purpose in life. And I had to tell him that even a major worldwide health emergency would not cause people in Hollywood to rethink their purpose in life. Except I stopped myself because, well, I don't know, maybe it will. A little bit. So, yes, I told my friend, the current moment may in fact be what people call an inflection point for the entertainment business. There's change coming, and there's change that's already here, and we may all very well come through whatever this ninth planet brings us with a new way to think about the entertainment business, maybe even a recalibrated sense of what's truly important in life. I think, I said to him, I think we're going to be okay. Really, he asked? No, I said, come on, pull yourself together. Some people are just so dumb, you know? And that's it for this week. Next week, we will eat dessert first for the Ankler. This is Rob Long with Martini Shot.